Our first scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter of the second letter of Peter, found on page 222 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. 17th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good to be here. If you wish, I'll set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the crowd said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Our own hearts, O Lord, may they be drawn to the mountain. May we arise and be with you. And may we hear only you, God's beloved Son. Amen. Picture it. August 1965. My mom and dad, Lottie and Oakley, yeah, those were really their names, Lottie and Oakley, had planned a cross-country vacation for the entire family to take my sister to college in Los Angeles. The journey was in the metallic green 1958 Mercury Voyager station wagon with a 415 four-barrel carburetor, eight-cylinder engine. It started with eight of us in the car, 
and then we dropped my grandmother off at my Uncle Phil's in Denver, Colorado. And then the second half of the journey was when things really finally got interesting. Just keep in mind the fact there is absolutely nothing to look at between Omaha and Denver. And so after we dropped off my grandmother, then the sightseeing started. Now, I was, I was four, about to turn five, and I had become absolutely enthusiastically excited about the potential of one of our stops. It was called Four Corners National Monument. It is the convergence, think of it, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, all coming together at the exact same point. Exciting it was not. <laughs> we got there. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect essentially an exhibit to the convergence of floor tile. You could run around and be in four states at once. All of them boring. So we set our sights on to the next destination, which was to be the highlight of the entire vacation, the journey. We were going to see the Grand Canyon. Of course, we picked up all of the tourist brochures in the motel the day before. You know in the lobby in the motel where they have those racks and there's just tons of tourist brochures? And then you bother your dad saying, we've got to go see the house that is built on a gravitational anomaly where water runs uphill. Or we have to go see the world's largest ball of string. Or this man has collected rubber bands since he was eight and it's only a $15 admission fee. Well, we were psyched because a lot of them had to do with the Grand Canyon. So we pulled up into the parking lot of something that promised to be a scenic vista. I always find those amusing because it's like everything you've seen up till now is ugly. You have to pull off for the scenic vista. And there were other, several other station wagons uh, with their ragged families pouring out and little children rushing up to the, to the pipe railing. The pipe railing was all that kept you from an extremely steep cliff that just launched off into the canyon. And periodically there were vertical pillars, but there was no fencing, there was no screen, there were no slats. It was just a, just a piece of two and a half inch pipe that had been painted. And I thought it was so cool that I was two inches shorter than the pipe. My mother gasped. But as we were there, taking it all in, realizing it was, after all, 1965, this was before the National Park Service invented safety, another family came rushing up from their car to take in the scenery. And they were rushing as if somehow the view was going to disappear if they didn't get there right away. And then one of the sons, a kid about 14 years old, with his arms crossed and a lot of attitude, said, So, that's grand. <laughs> if you think that children these days have become cynical and hard to impress, consider that this kid is now in his 70s. Okay? <laughs> taking in one of the world's seven natural wonders at a time when he at home had at most three television stations, he was already bored and not afraid to show it. Boredom, cynicism, inability to be wowed. This isn't a new problem. Nor do I believe it is getting worse. 
because I think it's always been one of our flaws. I say that because if you back up to 30 A.D., when the Grand Canyon was geologically 10 feet shallower than it is now, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, on a long walk to a scenic vista. Jesus wanted to show them something special. So they hiked to the top of this mountain. And after they arrived, when they were catching their breath, something amazing happened. Jesus was transfigured right before them. His face, his clothes became radiant white. And then Moses appears, the great lawgiver. And then Elijah, the prophet, appears. And the disciples witnessed Jesus conversing with these two great titans of their tradition. Moses, who had received the law of God on Mount Sinai, who, when he came down from receiving the law, he too was so transfigured that the people asked him to wear a veil across his face because they couldn't bear to see the radiance when he looked them in the eye. Moses, who had later ascended Mount Nebo to the highest peak in the Pisgah Range and looked out over the Promised Land and spoke with God, and he died there, and no one knows where his body lay. Elijah, who took his apprentice, Elisha, across the Jordan River, and as they walked, the sweet chariot came down and bore him away, the chariot of fire. They were there on the mount talking with Jesus. And while this awesome spectacle was unfolding before their eyes, Peter said, you know, this is really nice, Jesus, but you know what I think we should do? I think that we should build a little visitor center over here. Uh, you know, for, if, and we could tribute the three of you where you all came together, maybe like triangles meeting at a point, and we'll, we'll put a monument there, and then people can pay admission, and we'll have a visitor center that will have the, the whole, whole, whole experience maybe up on a big screen. And, and, and those little racks with literature for other tourist things that you can have the kids take. And while he's talking, while he's talking, the voice comes out of heaven. So ridiculous were Peter's remarks that the other gospel writers, Luke and Mark, say Peter did not know what he was talking about. I find it fascinating when Peter recalls that experience in Second Peter, the passage that uh, just was read. Uh, Peter doesn't mention that he ran off at the mouth in the middle of this. He talks about the transcendent glory of God that they witnessed on the mountain, but he doesn't say, and God had to tell me to shut up. Jesus wanted the disciples to see something amazing, something that would inspire them, that would give them a sense of awe and wonder for the difficult days ahead, knowing that they were about to witness great desolation. Just a few short weeks, Jesus wanted them to see beyond the tedium and sorrow of Holy Week. To take in the grandeur, the magnificence of God's awesome presence working through all space and all time. And Peter wanted to reduce the entire experience to a building project. We stumble on this story of transfiguration every year at this time. It's always the Sunday text just prior to Ash Wednesday as the whole season of Lent is about to unfold before us. 
One year we'll read it in Matthew, and the next we'll read it in Mark, and the following we'll read it in Luke, and then we'll loop back and read it again in Matthew. And every year, preaching this text, I'm afraid that I keep making the same blithering mistake that Peter made. I really don't have much to add. But I preach it anyway. Constructing my little word huts to add my interpretation to the experience of God's magnificence. I can tell you the significance of Moses and Elijah and the law of the prophets. I can tell you that the word transfiguration in the Greek is metamorphothotai, from which we get the English word metamorphosis, and how that's the same word to describe what happens to a caterpillar in a cocoon when it becomes transfigured into a butterfly. And how we need to understand that the metamorphosis of God's presence will transform our little caterpillar hearts into the glorious transcendent beauty of a butterfly. The wah, 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 wah. Fortunately for you, fortunately for the other disciples in the story, it doesn't end with Peter's blathering. While Peter is talking, God's own voice interrupts bellows from the heavens this isn't about you Peter it's about my son the beloved with him I am well pleased just listen to him and so we are standing here on the precipice the edge between epiphany and Lent and there aren't many useful guardrails Behind us is the season in which God's own Son was revealed to the world. Before us are the magnificent abyss of longing and mortality in which we remember that we are but dust. Explanation can be its own form of idolatry. Trying to explain something is sometimes an attempt to apprehend it so that if we could describe it then somehow we could possess it it would be taking the experience of the Grand Canyon and speaking of it only in terms of geology perhaps scientifically accurate but such a small sliver of the experience to reduce these words and experiences to some sort of theological bag that you can pack and carry home is to miss for a moment the awe just the awe amen Please stand and join with me in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. <laughs> 